cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on Monday the 22nd of December 2008. For the newcomers, look into my website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com and you'll find hundreds of hours of talks I've given where I try to give you shortcuts, the big, big picture and it truly is incredibly huge, it's worldwide and it covers every, every aspect of society, that's how highly controlled we truly, truly are. Also look into alanwatchsentinel.eu where you can find transcripts, transcripts of these talks and you can download them and print them up. They're written in the various languages of Europe. Pass them around to your friends and hold discussion groups as well. That's a good thing to do because time is really on the march for the big boys. They have it all planned out and it's up to us to, us to sort of derail them if we possibly can. Over this weekend, I looked into one website from Britain, and it's called Taking Liberties. They have a series of videos there on what's happened in Britain, which is a good indicator of what's happened elsewhere and what's still to come to the rest of the world. Whatever happens in Britain happens around the British Commonwealth countries and the U.S. about the same time, or just a little bit later, not very much later. And the, the, the incredible taking away of liberties has gone into, on these videos, in fair depth, including how they've trashed all of the rights of the citizenry and how the cops really are acting like just the, the henchmen of their master uh, and basically not even following any real laws as such because under this martial law agenda, the only law is what the cop tells you. That's it, on the spot. And you'll see them keeping protesters from arriving at their destination where they have a right to go, and the cops hijack the bus on, on the, the very first episode. And you'll see all the cops pushing in the door so they can't get out even. It's just astounding what's happening in these democratic countries. You'll see, so see uh, clips of Tony Blair when he was lying his face off, which wasn't unusual, concerning these very incidents. You'll see an old protester in his 80s, a lifelong supporter of that party, at one of the meetings being manhandled and I think punched as well and dragged out of a hall when he just stood up and said nonsense. That's how far it's gone in Britain. There's no free speech anymore, but it's coming worldwide. And I keep telling the people out there that you've got to get past 9-11. 9-11 was a must-be scenario, and in fact... If you've studied the academia, especially for the last 30, 40 years, and you've watched the consensus building between all the different departments and sciences uh, so that they're all based along the same agenda, they all are on track with the same agenda, which is sustainability. Sustainability. And you go into all of the different United Nations organizations to which they all belong, and 
you'll find professor after professor across the whole planet belongs to one or more organizations to do with the post-humanist era and transhumanism and sustainability. It's all eugenics. Everything boils down to eugenics, which should not surprise us since because the United Nations was funded into existence by the big foundations. In fact, the UN Center in New York, you'll find the land donated by the Rockefeller family, the land that it sits on, this big monster of a building, uh, that really is designated to, to bring in this world order, was donated. It used to be a slaughterhouse, the biggest kosher slaughterhouse in the state. In fact, well blessed the ground is. I'll be back with more after the following messages. I'm Alan Ward, we're cutting through the matrix, trying to piece together the big, big picture for people because we're in dire straits as this big agenda unfurls itself in so many areas of our lives. And I mentioned a series of videos, you can get up the links up at the end of the show, and it's on YouTube, and it's called Taking Liberties, I think there's 16 parts and all, but it really shows you the big the big boss man and his henchmen going to work on the peasantry. And unfortunately, the peasantry don't quite get it. This is not just a passing phase of totalitarianism and having no rights. This is a, the start of a whole agenda, a 30 years war of riots, followed by another, another 50, 60 years until the, the 100 years war is over. Because that's what they said at the beginning of 9-11. This is a hundred years war. And you've got to look into the Army War College's reports because, especially the think tanks reports, they, they go into the histories in great detail centuries ago, many, many centuries ago, to see what happened in different circumstances. And remember that Professor Carl Quigley said himself that the purpose of war, apart from looting for the big boys and so on, the main purpose is to change society. And it also strengthens and empowers governments, which become more socialized as they take over departments uh, and create departments to take over what used to be private commerce. The farming uh, industry was taken over in World War II. We don't realize that. Habeas corpus was completely suspended in most countries, including Britain, and they locked people up for the duration of the war with no trial and no charges. But at the end of it all, the acts that Winston Churchill had passed at the beginning of the war were torn up. That is not going to happen this time because they're talking about a hundred years war. To change all of society and to have a reduced population at the end of it, and therefore 9-11 had to happen to kick off this whole kitten caboodle of plans, plans that have been well discussed through academia, as I say, for 30, 40, 50 years. And now it's there, they go by mantras, that's what they run on today in all these different departments. Sustainability, depopulation, and all the rest of it, transhumanism. And what they hope for these, these elite intelligentsia is to be allowed in and allowed through into the next new world order, which is to be a, a world served by technology where they themselves will run about with Roman togas, 
living a, a life of leisure. After all, they're the most civilized. We're not civilized at the bottom. We're barbaric, and we're simple, and we're in the dark. We're profane, you see. We're the old type of human that's got to be eradicated. We consume too much, even though the masters who run the intelligentsia created this system for us to consume and created the consumerist society. They're moving on to the next part of it to ensure their own survival for the future and their own offspring's survival. Now, I've read the articles about the military preparing for chaos, coming chaos, and at least it's breaking through into mainstream news and what the whole purpose of it all really is with the armaments of the troops. And that really is the purpose behind the massive hiring and the creation of special units to tackle riot control and so on. It's for the coming years ahead. And now that they're pulling the plug on the economy as scheduled, and it was scheduled to come down now, and they're put into the hands of the International Monetary Fund, which I'll get into later because the International Monetary Fund, you have to look at its mandate, what it was created to do in the first place. It is the main international organization for spreading the world's wealth. And that was one of the planks of the Communist Manifesto, the redistribution of wealth. So to put these guys in charge of the U.S. economy, Canadian and British and French and all the rest of it, is handing the hen house over to the foxes, as planned, of course. Here is an article from the Business Journal. Uh, it's from Phoenix, the Phoenix Business Journal, uh, Wednesday, December the 17th. It says, Arizona police say they're prepared as war college warns military must prep for unrest. And the International Monetary Fund, that organization was just talking about, the biggest organization there is, that runs the world banks, basically. This is warns of economic riots. And this is by Mike Sunix. Sunix, I guess you call him. A new report by the U.S. Army War College talks about the possibility of Pentagon resources and troops being used should the economic crisis lead to civil unrest, such as protests against businesses and government or runs on beleaguered banks. Widespread civil violence inside the United States would force the defense establishment to reorientate priorities in extremists, that's deadly force, to defend basic domestic order and human security, said the War College report. The study says economic collapse, terrorism, and loss of legal order are among possible domestic shocks that might require military action within the U.S. The International Monetary Fund Managing Director Dominique Strauss-Kahn warned Wednesday of economy-related riots and unrest in various global markets if the financial crisis is not addressed and lower-income households are hurt by credit constraints and rising unemployment. Well, that's exactly what they want. That's why they've been building up internal armies for the last 20 years, and more so since 9-11. They cope with what's coming down the pike today. Says U.S. Senator James Inhofe, a Republican in Oklahoma, and U.S. Representative Brad Sherman, Democrat California, both said U.S. Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson brought up a worst-case scenario as he pushed for the Wall Street bailouts in September. Paulson, former Goldman Sachs <laughs> CEO, what another fox, eh? said that might even require a declaration of martial law, the two noted. State and local police in Arizona say they have broad plans to deal with social unrest 
including trouble resulting from economic distress. Well, you're darn right to do, because I read an article about a year ago where Homeland Security were having big exercises right there in Arizona. That's just what they were having them for, including checkpoints across all roads and so on, which means there'll be no travel during this period, obviously. The security and police agencies declined to give specifics, but said they would employ existing and generalized emergency responses to civil unrest that may arise for any reason. The Phoenix Police Department is not expecting any civil unrest at this time, but we always train to prepare for any civil unrest issue. Of course to do, that's what they're all really about. That's what they're really about. It's not about what you see on TV, where the detective can't sleep because his poor little girl was killed and he can't find the murderer, and he, he goes through hell and jumps off buildings and everything, and all to, all to find out who this nasty murderer was and walk him up. That's all propaganda. The police exist to, with, to hold up and continue to uphold the existing ruling elite establishment. That's their job. It says here, we have, we have well-established plans in place for such civil unrest, said Scottsdale Police Spokesman Mark Clark. Clark Hill and other local police officers or officials said the region did plenty of planning and emergency management training for the Super Bowl in February in Glendale. This is we prepared, said Mar- Mar- Maricopa County Sheriff, or Deputy Sheriff, Dave Trombay, setting his office's past dealings with immigration marches and major events. And then they just drab on and on about how well prepared they all are to deal with civil unrest. Which means if you do try to get your cash out of the banks, when they pull the plugs, on everyone, they're going to use deadly force to protect those wonderful banking people who created all these bubbles out of nothing. And mind you, there are plenty of greedy investors to help them along. You know, it's no different. As I keep saying, why should we all pay for someone's gambling addiction? And that's all the stock market is, is a gambling addiction. It's money for nothing. Something for nothing. This big, big Incredible casino that was invented a long time ago by very wise men who knew what the whole con game was. And they understand human nature very well as well. It's interesting to see how they established the Bank of England. They kicked this whole thing off. Because before that, you see, they had to collect taxes for the king. That's how it worked. And they used to send out the sheriff's men and the baron's men and the lord's men around it. their different areas to collect money from the, the peasantry. And then in came this guy from Scotland, which doesn't surprise me, because the Knights Templars, you see, settled in Scotland in Argyllshire, and they were the biggest bankers of all. They knew all the cons. They were taught them by very ancient, ancient civilizations over in the Middle East. And when Philip dragged in the Grand Master and killed a bunch of them. You'll find they never did find their treasury because they vamoosed with the treasury and they hopped it over to, to Scotland and lived in Argyllshire. You can see the, the Templars' graves all over the place there. So eventually this guy comes out of Scotland, goes down to London and comes up with this great proposal of how to, to tax the people by the creation of a basically a centralized bank, the Bank of England. And it would be, it would be it was great for kings and parliaments because now they could 
drawn this bank for wars, for plunder. That's what wars are for, for plunder. And the taxpayer would be put on on the, the tab, basically, is paying up the tab. That's how the whole scam works. So it was all set up and, and all in preparation for the Rothschilds, who were better at this because they were doing the same kind of thing over in Germany. And don't believe the rubbish about poor Amschel setting up from rags to riches story. The guy worked for one of the biggest banks in Germany. He was trained very well. He trained his sons very well. And he had gold sellers underneath their house. It took big carloads of, of them, horse after horse, to haul all this stuff away. These, are, these guys knew their stuff. They came in and took over the Bank of England. We're back with more after the following break. I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. I was mentioning the Rothschilds. They were brought into Britain. That's why they could survive there. That's why the, the main character, Nathan, could walk around there unimpeded because they wanted a real expert in on behalf of the elite. They'd already plundered their own people many times before they came in. People should remember that. They should remember the great scam of the first major investment scam that they pulled off on the British public because people always think that good King James set off different uh, groups into the Americas. But they don't realize that one of the first ones they did that was going to bring great money and great investment returns to everyone was to a place they said was a paradise where the fruit just fell off the trees, like all the fruit and the climate was so wonderful and so on. And people realize that that's, this even happened. It's all buried in the history books. And people put all their pension funds into it at that time too. And widows and all the rest of it put their money into it, hoping to get some returns. And they sent off crews of young, strong men over there. And I think the ships couldn't get back after dropping them off for about a couple of years and didn't find one single person there alive. Because they dropped them off at the mouth of the Amazon. That was a great paradise, this mosquito-ridden place with all the different poisonous snakes and all the rest of it. That was the first scam that they ever pulled on the general public. And that money, was, of course, was never recovered because it was all in the hands of the king and his boys that were lapping up their sleeves. That was the first big scam. There's been many, many scams ever since. So investment is always a big scam. And it surprises me that people watch the big boys and think, oh, the big boys are putting the money in this, and then it's a sure bet. The big boys never lose. And they pull all these feints, like a feint is something you do in boxing. You fool your opponent. And that's what they do. And we forget there are always private shares that are never announced to the public. These are the controlling shares. And the big boys are in and out of those particular shares at their own will they leave them behind you go in you lose your shirts and that money doesn't disappear it moves somewhere else that's why the system was set up that way and that's why they've never changed it since and all the scams they pulled in the u.s in the late 1800s the gould and the big boys the carnegies and so on 
when they got together, they looted the public three times in the late 1800s. But all we hear is the Great Depression. We don't hear about the ones before that, because they were just as big. They allow you 30, 40, 50 years to accumulate, and then they, they rob it from you, they steal it from you. That's the general way it goes. We've had the longest run before they've stolen it all from us since the Great Depression, but they've never fixed the loopholes. Why? So they can always pull it off again in the future. This time it's been used for control purposes to bring us into a new society under the International Monetary Fund. A world agenda, a new way of living where you can't move without permission from some government institution or ministry or some such thing. That's the whole idea for a new way of living where you will not be shopping all the time for things that amuse you. And that's how we've been trained up until this time. They know this. They know how we are. They gave us this culture of consumerism. But they've decided to change it now. And we're into the first steps of the big changes. All academia is on board, as I say. All of them. Every, every science there is is on board with the same agenda. And they have been for many, many years. Now, I talked about The Scientific Outlook, the book written by Bertrand Russell in 1931. A couple of weeks ago, I was going through some of it. Now, he also did The Impact of Science on Society, a later book. He didn't really change his tune. He did put a little bit more about the agenda in the first book, The Scientific Outlook. But he talked about just keeping people happy, uh, the use of drugs on them, and... He also talked about scientific means of creating happiness. He also talked about going into the womb and altering the fetus and surmising, mind you, in 1931, surmising that they could even alter the genetics of that fetus while in the womb. And lo and behold, over the last four or five years, we've had articles in the paper. They're just starting it now. So old Bertie boy had a great crystal ball. It kept well polished. Eh? No, in reality... And he didn't read the cards either. He wasn't a card shark. You know, the Zodiac and the cards and all the rest of it. He simply was at the big, big meetings where they had much higher knowledges of science that the professors and all the way down to the students and the general public are not allowed into. Because people do control culture and you never share information. Information is power. So, so knowledge is power. You don't share ultimate knowledge with the public. Francis Bacon talked about that in the 1500s. But you'll find this article I'm about to read is from the telegraph.co.uk. It ties right in with this. this. Just make them happy. You're an animal, after all. That's, again, accepted by all academia. You're just an animal. You came from an ape. And you're just like any other species. You can fool them. You can simulate experiences. As long as you have the experience, then that, that's quality of life. See, that's all it is, quality of life. Are you, are you smelling, are you drooling like a, a grinning baboon, or are you unhappy? If they make you happy by any means, then that's okay. We'll be back with more after this break on this topic. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. I'm discussing how the big boys a long time ago talked about modifying us all, mainly for this phase. After all, they don't see it as their duty to simply keep us happy all the time. But as we go through this phase of basically being phased out of extinction or, 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 or living, going into extinction before the new type come out to the other end of this 50 or 100 years, they want to keep us dumb and happy. And that's what we've had through other means, you see, through other technical means and scientific means, such as a TV and movies and so on. For years and years, it's trivia, dumb trivia. And even when it's trivia, we're getting downloaded with propaganda to alter our real perceptions, to give us the proper perceptions of what police and hospitals and that are all about, and scientists and so on. You know, the false impressions not the reality of what they're up to or what they're there for. So keeping people happy is a, a mandate as we go through this, this period. And people will run off to the doctors for tranquilizers. And, and in fact, they'll probably be quite the thing on the street, uh, even more so than they're present. Once the chaos starts and things become tight, money becomes tight and supply becomes tight as well, people, a lot of people will crack up and want to have relief temporary relief from all the pressures and fears of life. But after all the tampering they've also done with our bodies, the kind of tampering that Charles Galton Darwin talked about in his book, The Next Million Years, I was going to discuss that too because there's another book come out for the next uh, thousand years, it's actually from the United Nations. Uh, it's quite funny to read their projections and rather arrogant too. But anyway, getting back to Charles Galton Darwin, he talked about uh, using, uh, altering the hormonal uh, levels of males to make them less virile and more effeminate and so on, more passive. But it was also affect the female, who in some traits become more masculine. And here's the outcome. Sex chip being developed by scientists. This is from the telegraph, telegraph.co.uk, December 22nd, 2008. So scientists are developing an electronic sex chip that can be implanted into the brain to stimulate pleasure by Chris Irvin. The chip works by sending tiny shocks from implanted electrodes in the brain. This is a handout to the press to get us familiar with the idea because I've seen it in, in newspapers from Australia and New Zealand to, to the UK. It's a, and it's word for word. It's a handout, you see. This is predictive programming. It says, uh, the technology has been used in the United States to treat Parkinson's disease. It doesn't say cure it or help it, just treat it. So they always give you this nonsense just to kick it off. But in recent months, scientists have been focusing on the area of the brain just behind the eyes known as the orbitofrontal cortex. Now, that's your first lie, because Huxley himself talked about this in his speech uh, at Berkeley, where he was following up Brave New World into Brave New World Revisited, where he went over the different theories of the coming system. And he, he, he was a member of the Tavistock uh, Institute. And they were already doing this kind of stuff with patients in the Tavistock Institute back in his day, in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So it's your first lie. Scientists in recent, recent months have been focusing on the area of the brain just behind the eyes known as the orbitofrontal cortex. This is associated with feelings of pleasure derived from eating and sex. Now, they've just been working on it. I say they were doing it 
case. This is a must-be again. This is a research survey conducted by Morten Kringelbach, Senior Fellow at Oxford University Department of Psychiatry. Now, I've granted psychiatry before of how they, were, they started up really from the, and part, as part of the eugenics movement with the whole premise based, based on mental illness being purely hereditary. And they also came up with the poverty gene and all this, all these different theories. So here they are wanting to get into making you happy by implanting chips just behind the eyes, basically. And uh, it would be a new stimulation target to help people suffering from adhedonia, adhedonia, isn't that wonderful? Anhedonia, an inability to experience pleasure from such activities. His findings are reported in the Nature Review's Neuroscience Journal. It's a movie you've got to see because it was, it was taken after real facts. When the military were, were tampering in the brains of soldiers, and they'd already done this with mice. About two or three years ago, I gave a talk where I went into the history of that. It'll be in my archive section on cuttingthroughthematrix.com, where they were, they'd implanted these electrode wires in the brains of mice into the same areas where it stimulated the, the sexual impulses of mice. And it had perpetual orgasms, so much so they wouldn't even bother eating or drinking water and they'd die. They'd literally die. And they, they taught them to basically pull this little lever to get stimulated. And they would, they would do nothing but do that eventually. It's a completely addictive because it's screwing up all the rest of your brain in the process. So this movie that you should get a hold of was done in 1972. It's called The Happiness Cage. The Happiness Cage. I think it was one of the early movies by, uh, you'll see Chris, uh, Christopher Walken as the actor, the main character. And in there, they were stimulating the pleasure centers of the brain, that very same area, by the way, and you'll see it in the movie. And here this, here's this article, this handout article that lies right off the bat. They've just recently been working on this. This movie was made in 1972. The Happiness Cage, we're seeing very well worth seeing because they had this technology back then. It says, neurosurgery professor Tipu Aziz said, there's evidence that this chip will work. A few years ago, a scientist implanted such a device into the brain of a woman with a low sex drive and turned her into a very sexually active woman. She didn't like the sudden change, so the wiring in her head was removed. We don't know if this is even true. Yeah. He added, however, that the current technology which requires surgery to connect a wire from a heart pacemaker into the brain can cause bleeding and is intrusive and crude. Well, no kidding. <laughs> Drilling a hole, planting something in your skull into your brain is rather intrusive, I'd say. He continued, when the technology is improved, we can use deep brain stimulation in many new areas. It'll be more subtle with more control over the power so you may be able to turn the chip on and off when needed. Now, this ties right in with the technology that's, been, that's all over the Internet in the games area for children because they have these, these, interf these early interface rings you put on your head. There's even computers that have tried it with where the screen around the frame of the screen that acts like the ring. You don't have to put it over your head, and it will stimulate certain parts of your brain. See, they're after your mind, folks. If you, if you don't understand that, you, you don't have much of a chance. This is a battle for your mind, for you, for the essence that is you, the ghost in the machine. See, they want to exercise the ghost. 
so they have total control over your body. It says in 10 years' time, the range of therapies available will be amazing. We don't know half the possibilities yet. The guy lies. I added the last part. An electronic machine named the Orgasmatron, taken from the 1973 Woody Allen film Sleeper, is already under development by a North Carolina doctor who is modifying a spinal cord stimulator to produce pleasure in women. So it's interesting when you see these articles and you also look into movies like Children of Men, the usual scenario that the UN promotes and all the big boys promote, the scene where we're all living in these overcrowded cities, uh, they're crumbling and falling apart, and there's, there's this mass of poor people bullied about by these stormtroopers that work on behalf of an elite. But everyone in the movie, supposedly, they're all sterile by a, by a virus that came around. In reality, we're all sterile because of all the inoculations we were given. We didn't just breathe it in. And the food we've been given, we've literally been sterilized. I've, gone, I've given talks with the documentation to prove this. These movies are not put out for your entertainment. They're put out there to indoctrinate you and familiarize you with an inevitability of this scenario coming in your lifetime. And if you went to the Army War Colleges reports, and I have in quite some depth, I've read a lot here privately too, they actually have all of these scenarios coming up. And in their own reports they say, in about 30 years' time, and on the way to 30 years' time, the people will be off the land, all living in these overcrowded slums. And they say slums. And they say that the people will be very prone to pandemics and diseases because of their overcrowding and poor conditions. This is the scenario painted and taught the Army War College. And you all think they're going to give you back an old system and it's all going to be Alice in Wonderland again and leave it to Beaver, or the latest reruns of Seinfeld, or something like that. No, it's not going to be that. Because as I say, when you go through all of academia, they're all integrated together, all the different sciences and disciplines. They're all on board, as they say, with the same sustainable development agenda. And the agenda is simple. We can't all be sustained, they claim. In reality, we know that those who set up the agendas decided a long, long time ago that if they have no use for you to serve them, then you will not exist. You are a useless eater. Bertrand Russell called us all that. Useless eaters. A post-industrial society that does not produce are useless eaters. And we better get very indignant very, very fast very, very quickly and start seeing the big picture. And 9-11 and what happened there will all make sense suddenly to you because they had to get martial law scenarios on all the books across the planet at the same time to manage a society across the world that's been taken down by design. And they ain't going to give it back to us. And they're not going to tear up the, 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 the laws that banned habeas corpus and give you freedoms and rights back again. It's not on the cards. In fact, it's going to get more totalitarian and you're going to see all the laws that brought into existence being 
put into use. Quite interesting, Tony Blair passed uh, thousands of laws when he was in this little ham actor, Tony Blair, who loved his, his role, mind you. At least he was more flamboyant than Bush. He flapped his arms around a lot, and he would pause for effect once in a while. So he had basic training. Obama's even better. He's got stage magicianship training with his hands and stuff, if you watch him. But Blair actually passed a law that setting off a nuclear bomb was illegal. Yeah. It's against the law. And it's so amazing to see it against the law, and then you see the Army War College being told in Britain that they can use neutron bombs on the general public when they start rioting. In this 30 years rioting period they're talking about, it's okay for them to put off nuclear bombs, but it's illegal for anybody else to do it. Kind of one-sided, isn't it? In fact, if you look at everything that's happening, it's very, it's all one-sided. We are being attacked. And the cage has been built around us through laws and through military and police combinations and special forces and special troops and specialists and special that for the time that's coming down now. We better get that through our heads very quickly. When I was looking through the different articles, and that's how I do things, I, I, I go into certain areas of the United Nations, and then you'll find this incredible, everything that you pick to look up, you'll find they're incredibly linked to thousands of other organizations, all on board with the same agenda. Because they have consensus building. They have institutes and foundations that do nothing but get everyone on board, consensus through all of the sciences. Did you know that your idea, the whole idea of vegetarianism that was kicked off in the 60s was planned that way by the UN for today and what's coming in the future? Because they decided back then you wouldn't be eating meat in the near future. So they made vegetarianism, true healthy living, the way to go. And then they introduced soya as substitutes for meat and protein. Where did all that come from? And we know that soya has been killing lots of people off. It also sterilizes you too. Prophetess, P-R-O-F-E-T-A-S. Look into this organization. It's an acronym, it says, of PRO, P-R-O, Teen Foods, Environment, Technology, and Society. It's a multidisciplinary Dutch research program studying the options for more sustainable food production and consumption. And then the links that go off it are astonishing. And to the biggest publishers of scientific books on the planet, that gets everybody else and all the sciences back on the consensus on the same agenda. The a priori, there's too many people. You've got to accept that to get into anything. You've got to accept that right off the bat. There are base types and there are superior types. You've got to accept that as well. That's building consensus. Prophetus. And their books are published through an organization, a company called Springer. Springer, U.S., academic journals and so on. They also do businesses and all to do with the, the academia. But what's interesting about it is that it says the world's second largest publisher of journals in the science, technology, and medicine sector, 
the big sticks that Lenin t- called them sciences, you see technology and medicine. Medicine was to be used eventually out of a service into an authority. That's what Lenin said. So was the police, that was the service at one time. So was social work, a service, now they're all authorities. Exactly, as Lenin said it would be. The largest publisher of, of the science, technology, medicine uh, books and the largest business-to-business publisher in the German language area. 60 publishing houses in about 20 countries in Europe, Asia, and the USA. That's how you train universities. You see, they have limited books from specific publishers that gets everybody on board with the same sustainability agenda. Well, back to Profitas. You see, these are the guys who planned the whole vegetarian kick. And if you go into what they're, what they're all about, it's sustainable development. Remember, Alvin Tother talked about this. And Newt Gingrich, one of his disciples, was handing out free books to every congressman on the congressional steps a few years back in Clinton's reign. The book was called The Third Wave. And in it, Tother said, he said, we are creating a vegetarian world and it must be solved. Didn't say why. Now you can imagine with all the plagues that are going to break out and so on, and a low resistance to infection and disease being overcrowded in these ghettos that they're talking about in the Army War College. If you're on a vegetarian diet, believe you me, your chances of survival are awfully slim indeed. In other words, everything is done on a war footing, and this is part of the warfare strategy. We'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. I have one last article that's important to read because it shows you, if you read this PDF, and I'll put the link up too at the end of the show, to this one as well. If you read the PDF, it's pretty well exactly the same as the ones coming out of the Strategic Studies Institutes for the Military. In fact, everywhere you go, all, every think tank is on board with the same, exact same agenda. And this one here is from the United Nations Department on Population Control. It's called Great Transitions. Quite a fascinating read, with the usual lies and so on. But remember, as I say, it's a priori. You've got to believe the first lies they give you. They'll, they'll number them off to you if you want to join them. And you've got to believe them right off the bat. There's no inquiry into those, those particular foundations of their tenants. And on page 24 of this article, listen to this. This was published some time ago. They talk about market forces, how they use market forces. The social and economic stability of a market, of market forces world would be compromised. Would be compromised with, because they couldn't be sustainable, you see, with too many people. And all, they give you all the scenarios of this. If the world's allowed to, to keep breeding the way it is, my God, there won't be a river left that's not polluted and there won't be a forest left. Anyway. The same old rubbish they've been spouting for years and they show you lots of graphs and nice pictures just the same as Thomas Malthus did and many others after him. Uh, and there are always lies, you see. But why change it when it works? Most people watch television. That's the only place they get their info from and they're totally indoctrinated into this. You must get the victim to agree to a slaughter. 
actually that's the, that's the most that, that's, that's the ultimate of the occult when you can make your victim ask for death well I guess that's true there's too many of us well they'll just have to kill some of us off that's what Monty Python was getting at in the movie The Meaning of Life at the start of it where they come in and they ask for your liver in a spoof they show you and they make you feel so small not unknowledgeable at the end you'll say oh okay you can have it see the movie that's what they're showing you right there you must get the victim to acquiesce to their own demise that's what they're training the public for right now and this article great transitions from the United Nations those lovely guys with the with the nice business suits and the, the very waxed, shiny faces that are somehow more special and we are more altruistic. They're born into, in fact, they come from altruistic wombs to help us all because we're too silly and dumb and base to understand the higher things in life and the higher problems. It says the social and economic stability of a market force world would be compromised. A combination of two factors, persistence and global poverty, continued Inequity among and within nations and degradation of environmental resources would undermine social cohesion, stimulate migration, and weaken international security. Market forces, we're talking about the market that's just collapsing right now, is a precarious basis for a transition to an environmental sustainable future. Now, remember that line there for those who are hard of thinking. Market forces is a precarious basis for a transition to an environmentally sustainable future. And you think it's all happening by coincidence, don't you? It may also be an inconsistent one. The economic costs and social dislocation of increasing environmental impacts could undermine a fundamental premise of the scenario, perpetual global economic growth. But then they go on to say, if we have a market collapse, it could help them in their sustainable development program. What a coincidence. Well, that's it for tonight. I hear the music. So from Hamish and myself in a very cold interior Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods of understanding go with you.